Hi, my name is Lindsay Adams, and you are listening to Mindful as a Mother. We all know that I'm a big advocate for spending 15 minutes of one-on-one time with your child daily. Now, obviously, that can get very tricky with busy schedules and life, or you can run out of ideas for things to do one-on-one with your kids. And this is where KiwiCo comes in. I've told you about our rainbow crate that we tried, and we seriously loved it. So if you're wanting to find an easy craft project or science project for your kids where everything is prepped and ready to go and cost-effective, go to the link in the show notes and get on your subscription for KiwiCo. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of Mindful as a Mother. My name is Lindsay and today's episode is a really good one. Um, I was on a mental health panel a couple weeks ago for a women's group in a church here in Utah and the questions that these women submitted were amazing. And so I just was thinking that it would be great to share the answers on the podcast so that you could hear my responses and I'll kind of give information that other people responded so you can just feel like you were there with me. Before we dive into that though, we have lots of new people here and so I just wanted to say hey and welcome and a little bit about myself so you know who I am. Lindsay already said that. I have been a child therapist for seven years, mom to three kids, and I like to combine therapy stuff and the real talk of motherhood into an, a podcast that gives you tips and information that's easy to digest and implement. So if you're new here, welcome. So glad you're here. If you like it here, please uh, subscribe, rate, review. If you're old here and you like it here, please subscribe, rate, review. It really does help me out so much. And I'm always so grateful when I see the reviews come in. So that's my little spiel. And we'll just like dive into these questions. So, okay. The first one was introduce yourself, but y'all, I just did that. So here we go. Number two is what advice do you have on preventative care for children's mental health? Essentially, how should you raise children to give them the best chance of having healthy thinking patterns, self-confident, resilient, etc. So the first thing with this question is you can do all of the amazing parenting things in the world and your child still may struggle with mental health and that's okay. There's a lot of factors that go into mental health, uh, biological, meaning your genetics, family history, environmental, childhood parenting. Some of that we have control over and some of that we don't, right? 
as parents, we can control how we parent, but we can't necessarily control our co-parents or if hard things happen. And the other is kind of temperament and how children respond to certain things. So it really is like a big, perfect storm if there is a mental health struggle and it doesn't necessarily mean that there, that having a mental health struggle is a bad thing or that there's anything that you could have done to prevent it. Um, so I'm going to kind of rephrase this question in a way that feels a little more realistic and true to where I come from and how I approach things. So tips for emotional wellness in kids, things that help promote emotional wellness. Build the foundation of a healthy parent-child relationship with unconditional love and acceptance from both parents. That attachment piece, if you don't know what attachment is, look it up. It's super, super important. And there was a APRN which is a nurse practitioner on this panel with me. And she made a great point about um, attachment and having high warmth and high expectation. What that means is you want to be warm and loving and responsive to your kids, but you also want to have high expectations of them. That doesn't mean that you're rigid or cold when they don't meet the expectations, but it means that you hold them to a high standard, which I really liked how she described that. Besides the um, connection and attachment piece, the other things that are helpful is regular quality time with family and both parents, helping them learn emotional regulation and coping skills, and then sleep, nutrition, physical activity, and support system. So those are all things that I'm going to dive into in my course. So in there is where I'll have most of the detail, but those are the basics and the basic things that you can do to help promote emotional wellness in children. The next question was, what early signs of developing issues in children's mental health should you watch for? Are there certain ages or life events, not just for children, where people are more susceptible for mental health challenges? This is where the conversation happened about not labeling our children, right? So if they have a mental health concern, not labeling them, having them identify with a diagnosis. And we got into this really great discussion. I really wish, side note, I really wish I would have recorded this. Next time I do one of these, I'm just going to ask if I can record it and then I can just put the whole thing on the podcast so you can hear it in all of its glory. But we got into this really nice discussion about the purpose of diagnosing and as a clinician, why we diagnose. And it's really just to help us one, get paid for the sessions from an insurance company and determine medical necessity, which is a big thing with insurance companies because they cheap. And two, it helps us kind of identify where to start working with people and certain characteristics and groups of people But that doesn't mean that you are in this box forever or your child is in this box forever. Okay, so moving back to the question, my suggestion would be to learn what is normal developmentally through your own research or a professional like your pediatrician or a therapist, and then notice or observe behaviors in your children that are 
off from that normal development, um, just notice because all kids are unique and develop at different paces. And if there is a certain behavior or issue that is pretty consistently off from normal development and interferes with your child's ability to function for a period of time, I would say at least a month or so consistently, then I would look into that maybe being a sign that something needs to be addressed. Something really important that came up here is that I get referrals from pediatricians all the time for kids in therapy because parents will take their kids in because they have chronic stomach aches. So just know that there are physical symptoms to mental health issues as well, such as stomach aches, headaches, um, appetite changes, not being able to sleep, those things. So if any of those things are coming up for your kids, keep an eye on them. Don't react at first. Keep an eye on them. See if there's something in the environment that needs to change. There was a really great conversation in the panel about being a detective about your children. So if something's happening at a certain time of day, if they are struggling with a certain thing, let's figure out why they're struggling with that. Like if they don't want to go to school, is something going on socially? Are they tired? Really looking at what's going on behind the behaviors and seeing if that helps before before offering solutions and working on solutions. Second part of this question was times when mental health issues tend to arise. And I'm going to say transition times, even good transitions. So like graduations from high school, marriage, having a baby, moving, having a loss, any uh, divorce maybe of parents, any transition, good or bad, is the time that... um, some things can come out. And so just keeping an eye on that and planning for emotional wellness during those times, making sure your kids are getting those basic things, uh, nutrition, sleep, exercise, and support, and doing what you can to support them in learning how to regulate and deal with emotions. Okie dokie. The next question was, If you know a certain mental disorder runs in your family, depression, obsessive thinking, etc., is it possible to parent in a way that counters that tendency? What suggestions do you have for teaching children to recognize and combat these and other healthy patterns in themselves? So this is where we talked more about like the perfect storm and not really being able to parent away all mental health issues. And so you know what your child is quote unquote wired for, and you can set the environment up for success by doing everything I mentioned before, but be aware that you don't want to overcorrect or put a stigma on having one of these mental health issues. So if you come at them like, well, your grandpa has depression or an addictive personality. And so if a child ends up with those feelings, they may not want to talk to you about it. Because you've put such an emphasis on correcting or not having the certain mental health issue. So the main thing that parenting wise with this is you want to come at it from a place of acceptance of no matter what happens, I'm here for you. I support you. And it's okay if you're struggling with sad thoughts or worrying or any of those things, right? And really just like 
foundation is the relationship always. And I know I repeat that over and over again, but it's so true. You can be aware of what's going on. You can watch for all these behaviors, but you can't prevent everything. And you don't want to try so hard to prevent that you keep your kid from coming to you when something is actually wrong. Next up, we have what are some responses to a teenager who generally generally replies with negative self-talk? Example, the parents say something like, you'll do great. The teenager says, I'm not smart enough. And I know I won't because I'm not good enough. The parent says something like, you're beautiful. Teenager says, I am not. Stop saying things that aren't true. I don't know why I went to that teenager voice, but I totally did. Um, so the hardest part about this question is you can't convince your child of anything. You cannot convince them that they are the amazing person that you know that they are. So I would challenge you to step away from that and stop trying to convince them of that. I would also try and challenge you to help them move toward more neutral thinking or explore with curiosity why they feel the way they do about themselves. So a response to, you'll do great. I'm not smart enough. I'm curious why you think you're not smart enough. That opens the door for this conversation for them to express how they're feeling and why they feel this way about themselves and what's contributed to that. Then you can support them for feeling that way about they do. So instead of trying to change their feelings, you're going to want to support them through those hard feelings. The other one is if they are open to suggestions about feeling really negative about themselves, you can work towards moving toward a more neutral thought rather than a full positive thought. Like affirmations are great, but we don't always buy into like, I'm the smartest, most beautiful person in the world, right? But I will buy into like, I do okay, I get C's. (laughs) Or, you know, I'm, I'm of average intelligence. So having them find a neutral thought on the subject that they feel like they can identify with and having them work more towards that. So then when they come back to you and they say, I'm not smart enough, you can say, remember we talked about this and we decided we were going to try and change that too. I am trying my best. So then you can prompt them in the moment to work on changing their self-talk. But the main thing with this is you really cannot change their feelings. And the goal is to just be curious about why they're feeling this way and help support them through that feeling. Most of the time as parents, we just get in our own way because we have such a strong reaction to our children's expressions about mental health and their thoughts or feelings that are not comfortable for us to hear because we love them. And so we get in our own way and we have a really big reaction and we try and convince them or quote unquote fix them And in doing that, we do more damage than good. When if we can take a breath and regulate ourselves, step away, acknowledge our own thoughts and feelings about this and recognize that the situation isn't about us. It isn't a reflection on you as a parent and then sitting with your child in that feeling. Someone on the panel gave a great example of If you have someone stuck in the bottom of a pool, like an empty pool, and there's all these people like saying, come on, come on, climb out of the pool, just climb out. And the person's just sitting down there and doesn't want to get out. And then someone climbs in the pool and says, okay, I'm going to sit with you down here. 
that is what our children need. They need us to get in the pool with them and sit there and show that we are comfortable enough to handle their emotions. And by modeling that we can handle those tough emotions and not having that big reaction, it does a few things. It helps them feel like they can open up to us more and talk to us more. And if we can handle their emotions, then they can handle their own emotions. But if you react in a scared way or in a emotional way, kids will often shy away from that for a few reasons. One, they don't want to be a burden and they really want to please us. So we have to learn to take ourselves out of it as parents and our own feelings. And you can't erase those, right? Like go cry in the shower later. But what you can do is regulate yourself in the moment by using your own self-talk, taking deep breaths, doing things that help you so that you can be with them in the most helpful way. Okay, this question is fully loaded. If you are from Utah, um, you will maybe understand why. Why do you think Utah has such a high suicide rate? What can we do as individuals, families, and communities to change that? So my response was, I'm not a researcher, but I have a few ideas. Utah is known for its perfection culture in both motherhood and with our children. And this goes like right back to the idea of what I was just talking about. Um, If our parents have a hard time handling our emotions, we don't feel like we can express them. And I'm not saying parents are at fault at all for the suicide rate in Utah. I'm just saying that there's a perfection culture that, you know, gets passed on from parents to children and just kind of infiltrates everything here. And we often feel very alone or feel like we have to present the best parts of ourselves all the time and it's not okay to be perfect. Um, If this is something you are aware of and struggle with, you probably notice it with your kids as well. Another issue is the use of technology and the increasing pressure social media adds to our lives and the comparisons these days. So ways to prevent suicide are talking about it so much sooner than we think. Sex and suicide are the things that we don't talk about early enough or often enough as parents. And this question pertains to suicide, but also, you know, sex fits in there. So I want you, when you are having conversations with your kids about these things, to start early. Don't make them taboo topics in your home. Make them things that are frequently talked about. As far as suicide goes, I want you to talk about them with the warning signs with them. What it feels like to be suicidal. How most people have suicidal thoughts at some point in their life and what they can do if they feel that way. Remind them of the support people that they have present for them to talk about these feelings and issues when they come up and then just keep bringing it up regularly. And then when your child does come to you and tell you that they are depressed or feeling suicidal, that is when I want you to take a deep breath and manage your emotional reaction. I'll get kids in therapy and I'll ask them why they haven't told their parent that they're feeling suicidal And nine times out of 10, it's because they don't want to worry them or they're afraid of their reaction. So really managing your own emotions and helping them find skills and solutions in a logical way 
keeping in mind that your job is to keep your kids safe. So if they do need to go to the emergency room or hospital, that is what they need to do. Um, if you or anyone you know is feeling suicidal, the National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And that is always a good resource that you can call or have your children call if they need support or help. Another way to keep that dialogue open about sex and suicide is to is to tell your child how you would react if they came to you and told you that they were suicidal. This way they are prepared for your reaction. They know what it's going to look like. I think in our heads, we often have a scarier picture of how someone's going to react than what's actually going to happen. So preparing them for that and what that will look like will help them feel more comfortable talking to you if and when that time comes. Okay, next question. Seems like there's a wide spectrum from mental health to mental illness. How do you know at what point you or a friend or family member needs professional help? How do you go about finding it? Does health insurance cover treatment? So this is like a common question I get asked. Does my kid need therapy? Does, do I need help? My typical response is if you have the feeling that you need it, then you could probably benefit from it. Also, I'm a little biased and tend to lean toward the belief that everyone could benefit from therapy at some point in their life. I also think a big way to encourage therapy with our kids is to not make it a big deal and to talk about it like it's a normal thing that everyone does. So I don't think there's necessarily a point that you need to seek help, but if you feel like you need extra support, it's a resource that's available to you. Part of normalizing therapy for kids is starting with normalizing it for adults, meaning that we need to show that we're doing the work and talk openly about seeing therapists and going to therapy so it doesn't feel like such a taboo or top strange topic for our kids. The more realistic answer to this question is that if a if an issue arises that's interfering with you, your friend, your child's ability to function in day-to-day life, then uh, therapy could be useful. There is a website called Psychology Today where you can look up therapists in your area based on age and insurance, and they'll typically tell you like where to find someone that's a good fit for you. And there's a wide range of coverage depending on like insurance in your plan. Right now, it's really difficult to find a therapist. And I'm not sure if that's COVID or what's going on, but everyone has a waiting list. Everyone's full, it feels like. So if this is something you struggle with, I would encourage you to definitely get on someone's waiting list, but also look for other resources in the meantime, as long as you're like in a place where you feel safe to do that, right? But looking for resources like classes, courses, um, Zoom groups, whatever you can find while you're on that person's waiting list. If you ever need help finding a therapist, you can feel feel free. I just stuttered. (laughs) Feel free to reach out to me in regards to like helping you find someone. Okay, last question. What suggestions do you have for how to be there for someone struggling with their mental health? I think we've talked about all of these. 
kind of throughout, but um, safety is the first thing. So making sure that they're safe, but also recognizing that you can't fix the problem or find a solution. Most people just want someone to be there and validate their feelings. And that's exactly what you can do, especially with uh, another mom, because you know what it's like to be a parent and to be struggling with something. So you can sit with them and validate their feelings and provide them with support. Most people just want to be heard. They don't want to hear everyone's solutions or advice on what they think that they should do. If the issue tends to be out of like the zone of needing support or there's trauma or other things involved, you can recommend talking to someone or seeing a therapist. I think that is totally fair and helpful. And then if you're wanting to like help someone, my advice would be don't ask what you can do to help. Offer to do something to help them. A lot of times I'll ask and I find myself doing this saying like, what can I do to help you? And the person's like, no, I'm good. Instead of saying like, oh, I want to bring you dinner on this day. Is that okay? And then they'll be like, okay, sure. That sounds okay. So, you know, asking what we can do is a nice thought, but typically the response is, oh, we're fine. When really you could just say, this is what I want to do. Is that okay with you? So I've loved answering these mental health questions. If you have any follow-up questions, you can feel free to email or DM me and we're going to get right in to our mom fails. Okay. So I had a mom fail happen literally while I was trying to record this podcast. So this episode's been a whole fail in itself because I'm in my car right now recording it because my office was too loud. The air conditioner kept coming on and vibrating. I'm dripping sweat. Anyway, (laughs) that is not the point. So my kids are at my mother-in-law's and I get this text from my mother-in-law. Let me just tell you my mom fail. Let me pull it up. Okay. So she says, I removed a thorn or something from the bottom of Ella's foot. It must have been there for a bit because it was festering. She's walking better now. Um, I didn't know my kid wasn't walking normal, that they had anything in the bottom of their foot ever. So I'm going to chalk that up as a mom fail. My first reaction was to be like, geez, Lindsay, you got to pay attention. Like what's going on? And then I gave myself some grace and was like, maybe it just started bugging her. And I thought, hey, what a perfect time for a mom fail. This week kind of has a topic with the submissions, but not really. So my friend, I'm trying to decide if I should say her name and I'm just not going to say it, but, um, I got a notification that my friend was live on Facebook and it's kind of weird cause she doesn't really go live or use that feature. So I click on it just to see what's going on, see what she's saying. And I noticed that it's like not supposed to be on the live and someone has already commented saying like, I don't think we're supposed to be watching this. Luckily you can't see anything. You can kind of just hear her kids talking in the background, but my mind is going through all these scenarios of the worst stuff that could happen if you're accidentally on a Facebook live, like she could pick up the phone and be naked and, or (laughs) she could yell or I don't know, anything could happen. So I'm trying to call her like repetitive repetitive, repeatedly, repeatedly is definitely the word there, trying to call her repeatedly. And she, uh, isn't answering clearly isn't noticing. I text her husband. I'm like, listen, she's on the live. He's like, I'm calling. We're calling eventually like 10 minutes into this live. She's like, okay, I got it. 
And I was like, you gave me a heart attack. I got anxiety for you. And to nothing embarrassing was shared on the live. So I'm just going to put this out there that if you see a friend on a live that's not supposed to be, call them, let them know just so they don't have something embarrassing happen. And then I had this brilliant idea with mom fails. I think that our kids victimize us by maybe posting things on the internet or texting people or calling people using our phones. And so I asked for some submissions and I got a few about one was a kid purchasing like $300 worth of stuff on Candy Crush when they were little, which is so funny because I cannot imagine spending that much money on Candy Crush or what kind of extra bonus little candies you could get for $300. So I definitely need some follow-up on like how many extra candies you got if you have reached the highest level on Candy Crush because of your investment. Um, and then I, I got a few funny ones, uh, and I can't even laugh without talking about them, of people um, like... <laughs> getting pictures shared that were like unflattering of them or like they weren't fully clothed by their kids. And so those ones made me laugh. That's what I was looking for. And so just always, you know, keep your lock screen on your phone. Don't tell your kids the password because they will find a way to embarrass you. All right, let's get to these other ones. Okay, so this one is not a funny one, but kind of like an informational one. I'll just read it. I don't know if this is so a mom fail, but it's definitely a fail to me. Haha. Ha. I ordered a bunch of 2T summer clothes for my son and I've been dressing him in them. One time walking around the block, his shorts fell down to his ankles. And then twice the other day, my mom said, why are you taking your pants off as he's walking around them with, walking around with them around his ankles to her? So I thought when I ordered them... Why would 24 month and 2T not be the same thing? Well, it's definitely not. I'm here to tell you I've had this exact same mom fail. And I don't understand toddler clothing sizes between 24 months and 2T. But what I do know at this point is that they are different sizes. I don't know how different. And I don't know why they do that to confuse us. But I thought the same thing. So don't feel bad. You are not the only one. Okay. My son tells me, mom, I have a joke for you. I heard it on TikTok. I say, okay. He said, your mom is so hairy that when you were born, you got rug burn. Me trying so hard not to laugh and tell him, don't ever tell anyone that joke. And then it has the emojis with like all the eyes bulging out of their heads. I just dropped my phone, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, TikTok. Oh, love hate with TikTok. Uh, it's a fun place to be. I spend a lot of time there and the stuff that kids learn is funny. And I hope that he doesn't go to school and share that joke because would you die if the teacher called you and said, Hey, your son told this joke today. I'm pretty sure I would laugh really hard and then possibly die of embarrassment. Next one. This is a good one. Okay. So we went to church for the first time in a while since it opened back up and I was sitting talking to a friend when my son came up and asked who the man in the picture was. The man in the picture was in fact Jesus. Two face palm emojis. The best part was when I told him it was Jesus. He replied, oh, is it almost his birthday? Face palm, face palm. <laughs> this is the best story ever. Also, my kids probably would do the same thing. And I just love that your child is being inquisitive about who is in the pictures in church. And 
when their birthdays are. And I would just look at it as a teaching moment and a story that you can look back and laugh on because you definitely will never forget that experience. Okay, last one. Once upon a time, I took my baby shopping with me and forgot diaper and wipes. Of course, she had a major blow and I'm like, it's okay, I got this. So I went in the store's bathroom and washed her bum in the sink and I dried it with paper towels. It was all fine and good until I went to clean out the sink and I realized it was clogged. Poop water was filled to the brim. There was nothing I could think of to do. So I left. Yep, I'm the worst. (laughs) There's definitely, like, I I feel like something like that has happened to every mom at some point. Or they, like, leave a really stinky diaper in a public bathroom and then, like, run out. Um, That's a good one. I love it. And I love that you can look back and laugh about it. And, you know, we just keep moving forward. We keep doing our best and we hope that we're not, you know, creating too much drama and trauma for these little kids. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will be back here next week. Don't forget to be peace, be love, be mindful as a mother. If you want more of Mindful as a Mother, you can find me on Instagram at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. Once again, at Lynn's L I N D S underscore Adams LCSW.